HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. All right, it's one o'clock on a Thursday, and you are tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to the Farm Report. We're coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And today we are on the line with Manhattan Borough President Scott Stringer to discuss a report issued by his office this past April Red Tape, Green Vegetables. Welcome to the show. Great to be with you. It's great to have you. So before we tuck into the report, you know, your office has been involved in food and food policy issues for a, for a long time. And when you think about feeding a city of 8.2 million, there's a lot of ground to cover. And, and looking, um, looking back to a report that you, you issued in 2010, the Food NYC, a blueprint for sustainable um, food system, that report really outlined, I think, in a much broader sense, some of the different techniques your office uh, was recommending to to address some of the issues with regards to food in New York, and I'm just curious this this report, red tape, green vegetables, is that kind of coming? That's a, is that a second step? Is that coming from that Food NYC plan, part of a larger program, or? Well, Food NYC, you know, a blueprint for a sustainable food system, was really about bringing together over a thousand food advocates, activists, and experts to think about ways that we can deal with our food system 
that would empower local communities, create a healthier city, and to really change the way we look at food supply procurement and this whole notion that so many New Yorkers are living in what's called food deserts. This is not food deserts, but food deserts, where you know a million people don't have access to healthy produce. And the most recent report is sort of a sort of drills down more specifically on how we can work to deal with local farming and community-based empowerment. And that's what Red Tape Green Vegetables is all about. Yeah, I mean, I think it's exciting. And reading through the report, I mean, you guys have really gotten into the nitty-gritty of what what does it take to um, put on a community-based farmer's market and what are some of the barriers? So let's talk about those. Well, let's start by saying, listen, community-based farmer markets are simply a critical link in our city's food chain because they're bringing healthy fruits and vegetables to people who need them the most. And these neighborhoods are traditionally underserved by large stores. So our office analyzed the policies and procedures governing community-based farmers markets. We actually went out and surveyed all the operators of these markets. 64% responded. And the respondents were people who operated over 74% of the community-based markets in the city. But I have to tell you something. These markets are finding success in spite of city government, not because of it. So some of the stories we heard from operators were that they had to sleep overnight in their cars to ensure that they wouldn't get parking tickets. The city has multiple agencies and therefore multiple hoops that local farmers have to jump through. And our report made, I think, some very smart recommendations, uh, especially in light of the fact that the system for local farmers is expensive. Our, the daily rate for farmer's market uh, permit across all the agencies is a lot of money. Yeah, and so, you know, looking at those barriers from the financial aspect to just logistically being able mm-hmm. to park your vehicle and and... It's interesting, you know, that these markets are finding success. Now, community-based markets, how is that different from the green market system? Because this report is not looking at the green market system, correct? Well, 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 the green market system is really for large operators. And I have certainly the highest respect for folks, whether it's the Union Square farmers markets or other places around the city. They play an important role uh, in bringing healthy produce into our communities. a community-based farmer's market is actually a farmer's market that is started by the community for the community. And so somebody very local can take a piece of land and then create an opportunity for a farmer's market to begin. It's not about a big community organization or not-for-profit. It's about local community. And that's the distinction here. So part of what our report recommends is that for markets in low-income neighborhoods, we have to eliminate these daily permit fees, which add up. Uh, We have to create a uniform application process, for example, because if you're a a local person trying to start a local farm, farmer's market, you can't go agency to agency. You just don't have the resources. And then, finally, you've got to create a clear and enforceable process for market operators you know, that want to reserve parking. Imagine all the work that you do, getting a farmer to come into a community, you're all ready to go, and yet the police come by and just to get 
of all the vehicles, well, that's hundreds of dollars in parking tickets. That negates any kind of money you're going to make that month. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know personally from having, you know, worked on a farm that participated in the Union Square market that, uh-huh. you know, after driving all night to find parking, to get your stand set up, to right. work all day and come back to your truck and find a ticket there is, is pretty discouraging, um, especially when you're, um, you know, making a trip to an underserved neighborhood where, you know, as a farmer, your potential for earnings, I think, are already somewhat limited. That right. You know, any kind of extra charge makes it really questionable whether that's something that's going to be sustainable for your farm, which is a business. Um, well, one, one, one thing I'm very excited about, our report has already had an impact because a woman by the name of Sonia Simmons, she's a community farmer in the Bronx who was forced to sleep in her car so she could reserve parking for her market. Well, the good news is the Department of Transportation has now erected signage in time for the start of her market season. So they're going to be able to create parking spaces for her. And I think that's significant because that's what the report called for. Also, I will tell you and your listeners that we've already had some positive dialogue with various city agencies we called out in the report, the Parks Department as well as the Mayor's Food Policy Coordinator, about strategies for how government can make things easier, not harder for the markets uh, in New York City. Well, and that is one of the things that Food NYC outlined is, you know, what is the role of gover- government oversight? What is the role of the food policy coordinator? So I'm curious, you know, the, the, your office has taken on food and food policy um, for a number of years and has really been, I think, at the forefront of a lot of exciting initiatives and change that we're seeing in New York. What do you see as the role of the borough president? I mean, you issue the report, but then kind of what happens after that? And who's taking up the reins um, of your research and of the work that you're putting out? Well, one of the things that that I think has been unique to our office is that we start looking at so sort of local issues in my borough, and we've been able to take those local issues and transform the issue citywide. So when I got elected borough president, I realized I represented so many wealthy people and all of this economic firepower from Wall Street to Midtown Manhattan, but I also represented some very poor communities that had some real health issues, and we went into uh, East Harlem and work with local folks to start the Go Green East Harlem Committee. And that's when we started thinking about building an asthma center, which we did for the community. We started to create farmers markets that accept the EBT card. We planted hundreds of trees. We wrote a best-selling Go Green East Harlem cookbook. And we empowered the community from the bottom up to take control of their, of their health and to create a green community in a neighborhood that had been subjected to environmental racism for decades. We then went to Washington Heights, where I grew up uptown, and did the same thing there. We're working on the Lower East Side, working with our our Lower East Side Go Green Committee. And through this work, where we engage hundreds of people on empowering their communities, we then had our food conferences. And we started to think about how urban agriculture can play such a powerful role in this city. And that's why the food shed study proposal, the food charter, the food report, it wasn't just our office. It was our ability to organize hundreds, close to a thousand people, especially our politics of food conference at Columbia. And then we followed up with that with a food and climate summit at NYU. We empowered people to think about these issues. So Food NYC is a blueprint, not just from our office, but from advocates from around the city and from farmers around the state. 
Yeah, I was. I feel lucky. I was able to attend the conference, and you know, Wasn't some that of it. It was amazing. 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 It, it was amazing. It was like such a collaborative effort. We got to hear from so many wonderful speakers, and and then also to see the report come out afterwards and, and see some of the issues that we were talking about and that were brought up in the breakout sessions, really written on paper, and then to be able, you know, you know, almost two years later, seeing some of the outcomes of that, like this report. That, that your office has issued. I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, community farmers markets and, and why, why, you know, why that? There have been some other initiatives by the city. There's the Fresh program that's looking at bringing supermarkets into low income or food uh-huh. deserts. There's the Green Cart program. I mean, what, what, what do community uh, farmers markets have to offer that, that these, these programs maybe aren't touching on? Or why are they kind of the, the area your office decided to focus at some of its energy? Well, but, you know, I think, I think the CSAs, I think a lot of the overall city uh, projects have been very successful. You know, we've worked with the City Planning Commission on land use issues re- relating to closing this um, um, food desert gap in so many of our you know, economically challenged communities. We work with um, the larger um, initiatives, not-for-profit organizations. But we decided to focus this report and, and zero in on the local, local farmer because I felt they needed the most help and they do need some changes in the system so that they can succeed. One of the things I think we're all learning is that we need a multi-pronged approach on so many of our food initiatives. So you obviously need a city administration. I think the Bloomberg administration has been supportive of so many of these efforts, but you also need them to think about what moving forward is going to be the concrete goals. That's why Food NYC was such an important document because it gave the city council and the Bloomberg administration an opportunity to read a report that came from a thousand citizens, right? So I thought that was very helpful. But part of what we really have to focus on is the people most in need. If you can clean up the agencies, streamline the bureaucracy, work with NYPD to not issue tickets, and then show upstate farmers that you can actually come to poor neighborhoods, you may not make a whole lot of money, but you will create a market for your stuff. I think that would be that's the kind of that's why we wanted to work with the local farmers. And keep in mind, after we initiated Food NYC for the first time, uh, Plan NYC um, food was included, you know, included in yeah. the new version because we took it upon ourselves to convince the city that this was an important aspect of sustainability. And I have great plays for, you know, Plan NY uh, as it relates to sustainable initiatives in the city, but you can't move forward without thinking about urban agriculture. And I think we were successful in getting the city to take a look at this. Yeah, and I, I think that's been great. And I think one of the one of the things that is mentioned in your report and something I'd like to kind of hear your mm-hmm. you speak a little bit more on, you know, in New York City receives about three point two billion dollars a year in, in SNAP or food stamp benefits. Uh-huh. And you know, that is a lot of money coming from the federal level into the city and and a lot of that money is being spent at bodegas and corner stores. And I know that, you know, the green market system saw a return of about 500, you know, almost half a million dollars in food stamps at the markets. Your report, you know, noted $300,000 uh-huh. at community-based markets. I mean, what do you think is really the potential there to capture some of the, the SNAP benefits into these markets? And then you have the kind of this win-win of creating, you know, fresh food access in underserved neighborhoods 
and then also putting a lot more money into farmers' pockets. I, I think that there are low-income neighborhood markets that you know farmers do see um, a, a nice return on, you know, something that's sure. worth their while. So how do we work to kind of promote that and create that access? Well, the more farmers' markets we open up in places like El Barrio, Central Harlem, places in Brooklyn and the Bronx, and then overlay that with this opportunity to get snap dollars into the markets, well, that is the ultimate win. You know, I did a report when I first became world president, uh, it was reported in the New York Times, you know, we said, why are we subsidizing uh, through uh, what was then the ICAP program, why are we subsidizing, you know, job creation at McDonald's, Burger King, and KFC when we really should be thinking about how to green bodegas, how to subsidize supermarkets and farmers markets. It's just a shift in our policy priorities. And the truth is, if we can empower all our communities, not just Fifth Avenue and Park Avenue, but all communities to engage in sustainability and healthy eating and initiatives, I mean, we can transform this city where, you know, the capacity for living could be age 100. And this has got to be our goal in, in New York. And, and we're going to get there because a lot of the initiatives we put out in Food NYC are things that we can do with the next three to five years. You know, sometimes you put out a report and you say, you know, 25, 30 years from now, like Plan NYC, we want to be at a certain place. But when it comes to the food piece of that, it doesn't take that long to make real progress in communities. And that is what I think is so exciting. So we can help local farmers, community-based farmers who don't make a lot of money, have no resources, by just shifting the bureaucracy, making a little making it a little easier to get started, that's what government, that's the role government can play here. And I think that's what our report has been able to do, even though we issued it a relatively short time ago. Yeah, and, and I think that is the one of those issues that I think is always interesting when you're looking at creating change in the food system is what are the different roles that people can play? And I know our listeners are, are often, you know, young, educated urban residents who wonder kind of what is my role and how do I get engaged in some of these issues? You know, obviously you can make choices with your buying dollar, but, you know, does your office offer, you know, if, if someone can, can we, we direct our listeners to your office to get engaged in some of these issues and start kind of being part of these conversations? You know, uh, we, we would love to engage as many people as possible. You know, part of what I love about our Go Green initiatives in Washington Heights, East Harlem, and the Lower East Side is average people work with us on issues. We just started, uh, you know, yesterday we kicked off a amazing initiative uh, in West Harlem, uh, a community that doesn't really have a lot of, you know, community sustainable agriculture, but we have, we, we started something called Harlem Farm Share, where we're actually working with a farm uh, that, you know, brings food, you know, brings food to East Harlem, I'm sorry, to West Harlem and create a share program. It's a milestone for as little as $12 a week. A family can receive fresh farm produce delivered directly to this neighborhood, right? So your program accepts food stamps, you know, checks or cash, but here produce is coming to a community and for a small fee from a, from a farm, for a small fee, you all get to share in the bounty. And that's very exciting. That and we is were, exciting. Then we, we were there. It's a little stand, uh-huh. right? It's not a big supermarket, but we have Corbin Hill Farm, 
working with the West Harlem community, and there's a share program going on. Do you know how important that's going to be and what that neighborhood is going to look like five years from now? And it's all going to start with a couple of stack tables outside of a local you know, storefront. So that, and that's like community organizing, and and we're and, and, and we're trying different things. Another program we work with the Department of Health is a youth bucks program. So we bring children to farmers markets, and then we give them a two dollar coupon, and they buy strawberries and fresh produce. And one, they learn about the dollar, right, or the two dollar, and then they bring the produce home to their families, and they like it. And, and they then like they want it. more of it. And then they want more of it. Yeah. And no. then they said, "Mom, take me to the farmers market again because it's fun." It's funny how sometimes it's like that the younger generation, you know, taking their parents' hand and leading them back for 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 that produce and yeah. for that kind of exciting. Um, so I'm wondering. Yeah, and, and I will say to you, the issue for all of us is, you know, when I was a kid, I hate to mention my age, but when I was a kid <laughs> in the '60s, you know, my mother packed a healthy lunch for us every day. We went to our public school down the block. In a brown paper bag, we usually had, you know, two pieces of white bread, right? And Oscar Mayer bologna. That was our lunch. That was lunch. Now, back then, you throw in an apple and you have a healthy lunch, right? Sure. We now know that's not a healthy lunch. So we don't do that anymore. But there are some communities who are still serving lunch to their kids based on an outdated 1960s, 70s model. So our goal is to go into communities and show that there's a whole world out there for healthy eating options for your children. And think about what that will do for health costs. Think about what that will do for quality of life. The possibilities here are really endless, and it gets me so excited to think that some of these small initiatives are going to turn the city in a way that will be very profound, I think, in the next five years. And I I agree. I think the partnership with Corbin Hill Road Farm is exciting. We've definitely had them on the show before. And talking about, you know, their work in the Bronx, and I think one of the interesting things that 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 organization brings to the table is not only do they look at creating food access, but they look at some of the, what are the other barriers to healthy eating at the community level? Do people have fridge space? Do they have, you know, the cooking skills? How does it make sense for them to to pay for food? How do we get the word out? You know, do we use email and Facebook? No, not really. It's still flyers and door to door. And I think that's one of the exciting things about kind of a focus on, you know, community based farmers markets is is you're going into the community and partnering as as a as a city agency, partnering with the experts Mm -hmm. on that block in that neighborhood who know those issues, who know you know, what to bring in and, and can really act as, you know, the people on the ground driving the movement. Um, it's just, it's, it is exciting. And I think it'll be interesting in, in the next five years, in, hell, in the next, you know, year to kind of see what the potential for change might be. So I'm excited too. Like what is in the future for the, for, for your office? I mean, well, what's well, the I'm, next report on the docket or where do you guys? Well, one of the things that we want to, figure out, and I think this is a very important conversation for advocates all over the city. Right now in city government, the mayor has one person working on food procurement and food issues. And I do believe that it's time to create a city agency that is able to coordinate all the different aspects of 
urban agriculture. If we're really going to seize the moment in New York, then we need a professional agency to help do this. And I think having a food and markets commissioner with a real staff that can work in all five boroughs and all different communities in a very big way, coordinating our procurement capacity, making sure that we're dealing with issues, whether it's meatless Mondays in the public school system or helping that local farmer's market or working with Corbin Hill and other farms. It's now time to put real personnel and experts into these agencies to create graduate fellowship programs on food supply and production, to empower a whole core of New Yorkers who want to go into neighborhoods and, and deal with some of these health issues and coordinate you know, health professionals in the public schools. I want us to, as a city to lead the nation, but we need to go beyond same old, same old. We need to create a food justice revolution in our city. And that ties into environmental issues. That ties into how we make sure that we start lifting people up. And by the way, let's understand that this is the future economy. This is the next, uh, this is the next process for entry-level jobs. You come in, you can work on a farm in an urban garden or on a rooftop, and suddenly you're the next entrepreneur figuring out food supply and production in the city. And that's what I think is so important. And I would hate to wake up and figure out some big city around the world or in the United States ended up seizing this, uh, this great moment. Yeah, I think I think that you're you're right on point there. That this should be New York's moment. We you know have the resources, we have the manpower, we mm-hmm. have the energy, the entrepreneurial spirit, and so I'm excited to um, keep keep in touch with your office. And I want to tell my listeners if they want to find more about your work, they can visit your website www.mbpo.org. You're also on Facebook and Twitter, um, and you have a wonderful kind of. Uh, newsletter that your office issues to let us know what's going on there. So thank you so much for being on the show today. This is a great show, and and I think you're really leading this revolution every day, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is behind-the-scenes food news with Katie Kiefer. Removing barriers to better quality locally raised meats is one step further along the process. The Niche Meat Processor Assistance Network, or NMPAN, is connecting people across the country with information, tools, and each other. The organization is part of the Cooperative Extension Systems Extension, an internet-based collaborative learning service that consolidates the resources of the land-grant universities. The NMPAM affiliates are now available in almost 40 states and allow the co-coordinators to link people who need help with those who can offer it, such as extension staff members, state departments of agriculture, and markets with experience in small meat processing. They offer webinars, business plans, and hands-on help for processors or wannabe processors. More information is offered at their website, www.nichemeatprocessing.org. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer.
Figure on the Pole and City Winery are proud to present the Summer Barbecue Blowout Festival, August 6th, from noon to 4 p.m. The barbecue is happening at City Winery, located at 155 Varick Street in New York City. Restaurants featured at this event are Empire Mayonnaise, Van Dag, Momofuku Milk Bar, Imperial No. 9, Mile End, Mexicu, Kraft, Dizzy's Club, Coca-Cola, The Meatball Shop, and Dos Toros. Providing the soundtrack for the day are Midnight Magic, Pewter Magic, New Villager, Punches, Ducky, DJ Autobot, and the Snacky Tune DJ. VIP and general admission tickets are available at citywinery.com. Finger on the pole for City Winery would like to thank our sponsors. Heritage Foods USA, New York Magazine, Rake of Vodka, Sonar, Smile, Guilt City, Sub-Zero and Wolf. Please come out and join us for a day of fun, food, and dancing. For more information, go to www.fotpnyc.com.